Thank you, Natalie. Applause for Natalie since uh, Deshaun is here. Not that much. She'll get a big head. It'll be uncomfortable, all that stuff. <laughs> Sarcastic comment thrown back as she walks out the sanctuary. Hello, good morning. So, one of my favorite parts of my job, something I usually enjoy, is walking with couples who are preparing for marriage. And uh, I always leave those sessions with some deep convictions in the back of my mind that there are some essential ingredients that make for healthy relationships. And this is additional bonus. You might want to pull out your pencil. I'm going to give you these three ingredients. You can write them down uh, on there. It's not just for married couples, but also, as Natalie mentioned, we talk about sacred friendships. Relationships mean a lot, and we long to be a part of a community where relationships go beyond the weather and sports, right? That, that we're looking for that deeper journey. So if you want to enter into those more sacred relationships and friendships, whether it's your spouse or a good friend or maybe even a family member, these three ingredients are always crucial. The first is this, the purpose, the idea of all relationships, this is how God built us, is intimacy. That's the purpose. We, we have a longing for that deep connect with others. It's a little bit of a soapbox that I have as I talk about intimacy a lot, our intimacy with the Lord, but also intimacy with one another. The second ingredient is very foundational, very practical. I think most of you will agree with me on this one. Good communication. Yes? That is a foundation to relationships. Sometimes, if you're really wrestling and struggling, good communication to really talk through something can make all the difference in the world. And here's the third ingredient. This might be overly simple, but it's the most important. Simply, Jesus. Right? How we treat one another. We usually take cues from our parents and our upbringing to be a Christian, to treat one another, to learn to treat one another in the way Jesus Christ treats us. Absolutely crucial. Speaking truth and love. Extending forgiveness. Uh, allowing peace to reign in that relationship. Those key three ingredients. Now, be wise how you use those ingredients, right? I wouldn't suggest men going home and say, hey, sweetie, the pastor told us we need more intimacy, right? <laughs> Don't do that. But if they do do that, wives, you can be like, he also said good communication. Hmm? Yes? And kids, if you're listening to this, you can say, Mom, Dad, he also said both of you need Jesus. So take that in. All right, now, why am I bringing up key ingredients? I think we're going to look at an amazing passage of Scripture this morning. That we are towards the end of the book of Joshua. We're in chapter 20, and we're going to look a little bit at chapter 21. Chapter 20, 21, turn with, there with me, if you will. And these, so think about, we're, we're towards the end. We, we've, we've journeyed a lot with the Israelites into the promised land. We, we've crossed the Jordan. 
They, they, they've conquered Jericho. They, they've gone in all of these uh, major military forces, these city-states, and they've defeated all of them. Last week, we looked at this uh, uh, all of this land that they allotted, so they're establishing. You'd think they are good to go, but no. God looks at this community in faith and says, there are some key ingredients for my children that if they don't have these key ingredients, they are not going to flourish they are not going to be a healthy society and community. We've got to cover, and in fact, he's going to cover again because these key ingredients are talked about earlier in the Old Testament books, the Pentateuch, right? But he's, he's going to bring them up with Joshua for the people just to remind them. And, and it's fascinating, I think, to reflect on what are these greens. Here is the one true living God, the creator of the universe, getting his people ready, and he desires that they would flourish in their lives. Do you know that? That God desires for you to flourish in your life, to, to flourish in your relationships, in your job. He, he's inviting and wanting, and he provides so many resources that we might live lives that prosper and our success in, in a biblical way. And so he looks at this community and says, Wait, we, we, uh, hold on, slow down. We've got to go over some key ingredients. And I want to suggest, even though, as we have seen the, the story of the Israelites and the promised land happened thousands upon thousands of years ago, these key ingredients to flourish are very true, as true for you and me today. At a very foundational level, at a, at a very soul level, we need these ingredients. All right, let's look at what they are. We're starting at verse, uh, chapter 20, uh, verse 1. We're just going to read a, a few of these. Again, they've allotted all the land. They, they did Joshua. They just ended with uh, giving Joshua the land. And then verse 1 of chapter 20 in Joshua. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge as I instructed you through Moses, so that anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. Okay, so, for example, Exodus 21, Numbers 35, God instructed through Moses the people about these cities of refuge. This is not just a one random scripture that we go, oh, that's interesting, and move along. No, this is an important idea and concept and ingredient that God repeats now at least for the third time to his people. Verse 4, when they flee to one of these cities, cities of refuge, they are to stand at the entrance of the city gate and state their case before the elders of that 
city. This is like a preliminary hearing. They run to one of these. They accidentally, unintentionally kill a neighbor, for example. Right? And they run. They see the elders of that city at the city gate. And they have a preliminary hearing about whether they qualify for the city of refuge. Right? Um, when they flee to the, one of the cities, they, they are to stand at the entrance of the city gate and state their case before the elders of that city. Then the elders are to admit the fugitive into their city and provide a place to live among them. Imagine this ancient society. And God is saying, yeah, if you have someone that comes there, you need to hear them out. And then if qualified, they, you find a place for them to live. Verse 5, if the avenger of blood, we'll talk about the avenger of blood soon, comes in pursuit, the elders, he's knocking on the gate, city of refuge, I demand, he took the life of my relative, I demand blood for blood. The elders must not surrender the fugitive because the fugitive killed their neighbor unintentionally and without malice or afterthought. They are to stay in the city until they have stood trial, full trial, before the assembly and until the death of the high priest who was serving at the time. Then they may go back to their own home in the town from which they fled. In other words, so, so get this picture, this idea of, uh, of a, a city of refuge. So maybe you're, uh, you're chopping down something and the, the head of the axe flies off, accidentally kills a neighbor, right? Their relatives want blood for blood and they're going to go after God is saying, I want you to establish, he's going to establish actually six cities in the promised land in which they can run to. I think we have a map of the, the promised land and the, and the six cities. And you see those stars. So uh, half was on one side of the Jordan, east of Jordan, the other half. And they were located in such a way that people could run wherever they wanted and find sanctuary there. They'd have a preliminary service that the elders let them in. They provide a place for them to live. Maybe the avenger of blood comes and they have a full trial and witnesses. If it's confirmed that life was not taken in malice or hatred or murder, then they say to the avenger of blood, no go, you don't get them. You have to return back to your land. They're going to live here in the city of refuge. It says, then that person gets to live in the city of refuge until the high priest passes away and then he's able to return to his own land in peace. See that picture? There were some neat things about the cities of refuge. It was believed that as most cities in the evening would close their gates and lock their doors, that the cities 
of refuge never did. That no matter what time, what moment, the person could flee to those cities 24-7. Believe that if he just stepped into that city of land, just the, the very edge of the property, maybe the, the avenger of blood is right after him, but he makes it to that city safe. Another interesting thing about the cities of refuges, it wasn't just for the Israelites. In fact, God repeats that any strangers, any foreigners or sojourners, they are, um, they have the ability to flee to the cities of refuge. Now what would be the ingredients that God is trying to build into his people, his lives. Two ingredients in this section. What are the two ingredients? Anyone notice? Justice and mercy. Eli, you just looked at the bulletin, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean I'm making it easy for you. Yes. Justice and mercy. Now think about this for a moment. Isn't this amazing? God is like saying, hey, wait, it's not okay. Slow down. Because you are not going to flourish. You are not going to thrive unless these ingredients of justice and mercy are prevalent in your life, in your community, in your city. If, if you really think about it, if you've ever been in the midst of a, what they would call a miscarriage of justice, if you've ever been in the, the, the victim of injustice, there's something that's so difficult and, and you, the soul suffers in the midst of injustice. And God is saying, for you to thrive as people, you need to live in justice. And mercy. Listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus was arguing with the religious leaders of his day. In fact, they were, they were very religious. They were very legalistic. And they were following. And they would tithe uh, everything. And Jesus said this. He said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. He's saying you missed this whole concept of cities of refuge. You've missed that this is God's heart for his people, these ideas of justice and mercy, and faithfulness. Now, it's interesting, at first blush, as I was reflecting over the cities of refuge, I thought, oh, God is trying to thwart vengeance. I was thinking, he's going to talk about vengeance as mine. You don't live out vengeance. You let me do that. And so, process, because of the title, the avenger of blood. That sounds pretty fierce, right? Hmm. It sounds a little bit 
uh, vindictive and hurt, and I'm going to pay back is mine, right? That's not exactly who the avenger of blood is. In fact, the avenger of blood was God's idea. The avenger of blood was fulfilling a commandment of God, which kind of changes this dynamic in my mind, at least. And in fact, in the Old Testament, there is this, uh, it's also translated, the Hebrew there is translated, with some of you might be familiar with this term, kinsman redeemer. So for example, the book of Ruth. The kinsman redeemer was, was a relative, a male relative that was close to the people. And that male relative, kinsman redeemer, he was responsible for his whole family, for their well-being, for their safety, for their uh, liberty, for their freedom, for their very lives. And in other sections of the Old Testament, God was saying, if there is innocent blood spilt, if your sister or your, who's not married, if your, if your wife, if one of your children is killed maliciously, that creates pollution and the land cannot be blessed. You cannot flourish. If innocent blood is spilt and nothing is done about it, no, that is not good. So if you are the close relative, if you are the person who is murdered and you're the kinsman redeemer, you become the avenger of blood. Not for vengeance, but for justice. He's saying this is a, a form of government. He's saying I'm holding you responsible for the injustice that was done, and you need to find the murderer and kill him or her on sight. Now see if you follow me with this. If God had already established this form of justice, if he had already spoken to his people about the avenger of blood, then why does he need six cities of refuge? I didn't exactly put that one in your bulletin. That's a little bit more challenging. But I think this is so neat because he's saying, yes, justice is crucial. Yes, you have to pursue justice in every, if someone is murdered, and yet he's saying motives matter. Due process matters. And mercy matters. That amazing, the, the foundation of our legal system of justice and due process and motive 
and mercy. Again, God is teaching his people how to flourish. He's giving them key ingredients. He's established justice, reminding them about justice. But he's also saying motive matters. Context matters. Due process matters. And then the high priest will will talk about in just a moment. The high priest dies and then the the person who, who spilt blood innocently, not maliciously, is able to go back to his city, his land, even if it's right next to the neighbor of the person of the life he called. And God is saying, peace, mercy, blessing. Amazing. I would say today, what, what, what God is doing is, is this should... Uh, this should really push, push us towards justice, due process, and mercy to be a people that talk and live and speak and value justice and mercy. Now, now I also believe that this is such a neat passage, these two chapters, because I believe that this is the, the chapters where we most see Jesus in Joshua. We most see Jesus in Joshua. Here's how. One is, I believe that, that our sin, both against one another and against God, keep that in mind, that we see that, that we, our sin demands justice. Our sin demands punishment. If God gave no consequence to our sin, if there was no punishment to our sin, then God would not be a God of justice. Would you agree? That he is, is inviting us into that thing and, and we go to him. That, that the demands of justice is that there's consequence to our sin. And that should drive us to run to Christ Jesus. And when we run to Christ Jesus, he says, guilty. Now what would happen if you ran to the city of refuge and you go through a trial and you find it, find it was malicious, and it was intentional, do you know what they'd do? They'd give the individual to the avenger of blood, and he would do justice. He'd kill him. And I want to suggest that if you run to Christ Jesus, you're going to be found guilty. But instead of you being sent back to your accuser, Jesus goes in your place. That's the gospel. That is the gospel. Jesus is our city of refuge. 
Jude 1.21, keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Jesus is God's mercy. We should run to him again and again. At communion, we run to him again and again. We run to him. Friends, the door of God's mercy is never locked. It's always there. Friends, it doesn't matter who you are. That city of refuge, Jesus Christ, is for you. We run to him again and again. There's another neat way Joshua points to Jesus. I've been waiting to share this all series. The ancient name of Joshua, the, the ancient Hebrew is Yehoshia, which means Yahweh is deliverance. Yahweh saves. Yeshua. If you take that ancient Hebrew name of Yeshua and you translate it into the Greek, do you know what you get? Jesus. Jesus. As Joshua, Yeshua, brings us into the promised land, establishes a life in God, so he foreshadows. He's this, this type of Christ. He points us to the Messiah who will bring us into the love of God, who will bring us into the promised life. Beautiful? Incredible? We're seeing as the people are brought into the promised land. So we are brought into this promised life of flourishing and love. A famous passage, passage, Micah 6, 8. Therefore, then, how should we love? The Old Testament prophet says, He, God, He's shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? He, he's demonstrated again and again. This is now how you are to la live in the promised land, in your promised life, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Again, we are to not just celebrate and say, yes, God is a God of justice. God is a God of mercy. But we worship him and then we live and we are people of justice and mercy and humility. All right. That's chapter 20. There's another aspect of God's provision. And I would suggest two more ingredients for our lives that are crucial. Look at chapter 21, verse 1. Now, the family heads of the Levites approached Eleazar, the priest, Joshua, son of Nun, and the heads of the other tribal families of Israel at Shiloh in Canaan, and said to them, The Lord commanded through Moses that you give us towns to live in with pasture lands for the livestock. 
So as the Lord had commanded the Israelites, gave the Levites the following towns and pasture lands out of their own inheritance. So if you recall, last week as we looked at the um, promised land and all the tribes got their particular um, land, but the Levites did not get that. Do we have a second map here of the Levitical cities that were all through 42, actually a total of 48. And the cities of refuge were also these Levitical cities all through the nation. Why would the Levites, the tribe of, of Levi, not get their own land, but get cities throughout the promised land? I want to suggest because there's two more essential ingredients that the people need to flourish. There's two more central ingredients that you, for your life, need to flourish. What are those two? Truth and worship. You got you right, right in that bulletin, didn't you, Ron? That's right. Yes. The, oh, you just put it together. Yes. Truth. And worship, again, central ingredients for us. We need, the soul needs truth and worship. In the absence of truth and worship, the soul struggles. Why? We were created in the image of God and we were created to worship God, to be in fellowship with God. To love God with our minds, our hearts, and our souls. The Apostle Paul was talking about the fall of humankind when, when humankind, though created in God's image, fell into disgrace. He's telling the story in Romans 1. He says this, They, humankind, exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever to be praised. Amen. Think about Jesus when he, he comes to the woman at the well and he's engaging her and he tells her that, that the Father is looking for particular worshipers that they would worship in and in spirit and in truth, to, to be in the know. I think there's this very sad phenomenon in our secular society where this, there's a, a weird absence of God in many areas. We're, we're, we're seeing it grow. And in fact, we, we've been created to walk in fellowship with God. We've been created to know the, the truth that there is a God and who he is. He's revealed himself that to a life of flourishing isn't the American dream separate from God. It's not, oh, I get vacation, I have a saving. No, the, to a life of flourishing is when you're living in connection with the one true living God. That we understand who we are in relation to our creator. 
There's so many questions of identity, identity. It's all over social media, yes? And so many of those questions, so many people are asking the question of who am I? What am I called to do? And there's an absence of the one who created them. There's an absence of, of the very thinking of, of how they've been knit together the gifts they've been giving, the, the skills they've been giving, the particular heart they've been given, and the call in that. And God is saying, no, no, don't, don't let it happen in the promised land. I'm going to put cities of these priests. Think about what the, the Levites would do. Yes, Shiloh was where the ta tabernacle was, and the Levites would, would go in a rotation and serve uh, the sacrificial system, right, for the sin. So important but in the cities, the Levites were teachers. And they would teach the law and say, my people need, again, to return. Remember how we started the book of Joshua? Be careful to obey everything that you've been taught to teach you and learn and to grow. The Levites would, would pray for the people. They were the intercessors, the, the go-between between them and God. They would bless the people, they would probably be present in those uh, uh, trials for in the cities of refuge. They were over there. They were representing that connection with the sacred and the divine. He's saying, my people will not thrive unless throughout the land there's this connection of walking and learning to worship God in spirit and in truth. And now in a, a beautiful way and yet another way, we're pointed to Jesus once again. And it was the, the death of the high priest. The high priest was, was the one who was the ultimate expression of God's mercy and to grace and forgiveness. He was the ultimate expression of that go-between. And so there's one high priest. And then imagine those folks that committed murder innocently and they're waiting and they're waiting. They're living in these cities of refuge away from their family, away from their home. And the high priest died. And then a mercy settles on the promised land. A mercy settles on the people of God. A mercy settles on your life and mine. Many of you know that in the book of Hebrews in particular, he said, in the new covenant, we have a new high priest. And he's good. Oh, he's, there might have been some good high priests before, but Jesus, the son of the living God, is now your high priest. Hebrews 7.25, I, I did ESV because I love the, how it's translated, Consequated. consequently he is able to save to the uttermost. I love that word, uttermost. He's able to save for the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is praying. He's interceding for you. Jesus is teaching you truth 
today by his Holy Spirit. Jesus is blessing you today, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners. What a high priest! And exalted above the heavens. We just have to wait until he dies, and then mercy can rest on our lives. He already did. Our high priest has died. And mercy has rested on our lives. Amen. So how do we respond? Hebrews 10.22, just a little bit later in Hebrews. Let us draw near to God with sincere hearts full of assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. He's saying, you have a high priest. You have a city of refuge. You have this ministry that is happening right now. Why aren't you drawing near to God again and again and again? Keep your life in the love of God. I was praying this morning and realizing that I want to include this one other piece that I believe that now Jesus is our high priest, Jesus is our mercy, Jesus is our city of refuge, And yet this is also a picture of the church and our life. That there's a calling in this. That in this broken and harsh world, so many people do not know that there are cities of refuge available to them where the door is never locked. That that the, the calling of the church is that we should be that community of refuge, whether it's here in the sanctuary or our KLCs in our neighborhoods, that, that we should be the place that when people are hurting and struggling and wrestling and in desperate need, we should be the ones that are saying, did you know there's refuge There's mercy that's rested on this broken world that there is a high priest that will give you and lead you and provide for you. He's already died. Would you receive him, your city of refuge? Would you pray with me? So, Lord, just thinking of our our world today, so broken, so divided, where there is so much malice and, and hate around the world, and so much suffering, Lord, so much more even now, we are in desperate need 
of cities of refuge. We're in desperate need to come to you, Jesus, and find refuge in you. Just want to give an opportunity for anyone, maybe you've been wandering from the Lord. You've not lived a life connected to him in any way. Maybe even at one time you were walking with Christ and yet you've pulled away. I just want to give you the opportunity this morning to say, Jesus, I receive you again as my city of refuge. Would you come into my heart afresh? Would you be my priest? Would you intercede for me? Would you be the mercy and the love of Christ? If you feel so led, just raise your hand, see you, I want to talk to you about that. Just receiving Christ. Just these two sections over here, or three sections here, the side. Anyone that is saying, Jesus, would you be once again my city of refuge? Around this three sections, and at home, if you want to just say, Jesus, would you be my city of refuge? Okay, I saw that. I saw that. Yeah? Yes. Would you pray with me again? Lord Jesus, I receive you today. Jesus, thank you that you died for me. That you took the consequence of my sin. Lord, would you help me to live in the ways in which you've created me. To celebrate justice and mercy Teach me to live 